0: What's going on you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm one of the hosts of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on everybody? Kevin Valentin here, other half of the podcast.
1: What's going on, Kyle?
0: Not much, bro. Uh I got the uh, Eagles and the Texans game in the background. So it'll probably be something that you and I are probably gonna monitor throughout the episode. I mean, we might make a mention of it when the game goes final, but I gotta say, bro, Houston's kinda giving Philly a run for its money here. Like I mean, at this point in the recording, it's, what, it's twenty one fourteen, Philly. A.J. Brown just got a touchdown a couple minutes back. But apparently Damian Pierce is just running all over this Eagles defense. Yeah, he's got over 100 yards rushing.
1: Last three running attempts before this last one were about like eight, nine yards a clip. He's just getting big, big chunk plays. Philly's front four is getting abolished. Getting abolished? Dude, It. <laughs> I said what one. I said. That's a new Dude, one. There, I was going to say demolished, but then I was like, I need something more drastic because it, it's just it's ridiculous. I mean, obviously now he goes and gets a tackle for a loss, but it, it bro, we're talking like the run lanes are the Red Sea, and he is just carving them up. You could probably park a car in some of those lanes, apparently. Legitimately, bro. It's kind of crazy. But I mean, hey, you know, my girl's dad said the same thing. He kind of, you know, didn't expect him to lose, but he did say Philly tends to play down to their opponents in a lot of instances, especially teams like this and Houston being the worst team in the league. It is not a good look if they were to even come close. So Philly needs to blow this wide open.
0: I mean, I still picked the Eagles just in my family pick them league. I wasn't going to pick against Philly. I would have been insane at in picking the Texans just because you said, like, you still got to favor the Eagles just because they're defeated. But it's like, I wouldn't have been necessarily surprised if they were to lose that game because you're on three days rest. You're, playing down to competition like the texans and bro we already know what the texans are like they're the worst team in the nfl so it's like just saying they don't like look it tonight
1: those...
0: <laughs> no especially bro i think it's the uh it's the uniforms it's those alternate uniforms that they got with the the shiny red helmets with with the metallic helmets yeah that's their debut for their helmet this year it's a nice helmet it's a nice helmet. for sure so and the, and the red the red unis uh, i always like those with the texans i don't think they've ever went wrong with those red uniforms they're kind of slick. So it's just too bad that like the worst team in the league has them. <laughs> See what I think. What are you going to do? But it's the Texans, bro. So, But, Kev, we got an action-packed agenda. Uh, we got week nine in the NFL. We got four to five games to cover. And then we got the World Series to cover, which has been legitimately back and forth. So as of right now, game five is being played. So when you guys hear this in the morning, the game will have already gone final. And then you guys will figure out who's up three, two in the series. It could be the Phillies. It could be the Astros. All we know is, is that this game, this series is going to go six games, potentially seven. And the last two games are going to be played in Houston. And Kev, I think it was something that you and I were talking about last week. Like we saw the potential of that world series going six, seven games. And I think it's, it's living up to expectations at this point, this has actually been a really solid world series. 100%.
1: 100%. I, I love the um, the offensive power on both sides. The pitching hasn't necessarily been something impressive outside of the no-hitter that was played yesterday uh, because, obviously, in Game 3, the Phillies shut them out and they actually went absolutely apeshit. But, you know, obviously, you go back to Game 2, Game 1, it just it goes back and forth. They're scoring runs, which is an entertaining game. Yesterday was the only one where zero runs were scored, so mm-hmm. that was the boring game, but when you see a no-hitter, especially one in the World Series, even if it's a combined no-hitter, it's, it's entertaining, impressive. so. It's what's well, impressive. It's just
0: Yeah. It's, I it's mean, historic, H- honestly. Houston's pitching staff just absolutely locked it down in game 4. And to be honest, they kind of had to because in game 3, bro, Houston's pitching staff got wrecked. It really didn't matter who they put up on the mound. The Phillies were just hitting dingers the entire night. I mean, they won seven to nothing, and then I guess Houston kind of got back at them, you know, throwing a five nothing shutout the next day. So it really just has been back and forth. I think That's this all you might, can ask for in a World Series, man. I mean, I think not, either, neither team has won two games in a row. I think Houston nope. Houston lost game one, so the Phillies won. Houston got it back in game two. Oh wait, no, no. no. Yeah, then Phillies won game three, and then Houston won game four. So we'll see what happens with game five. But uh, we'll kind of get to that point when that game goes final. And that will be at the end of the episode anyway. But like I said, we've got some solid games to go over in the week nine slate for the NFL. Uh, the first one we are going to go over, it involves our teams. We got the Colts and the Patriots. It's a one o'clock game on Sunday. And when we look at this matchup, you know, let's focus on the Colts here. They're sitting at a three and four and one record. Uh, Sam Ellinger is the quarterback moving forward for them. uh, Just because Matt Ryan is pretty much out for the rest of the season after the Colts shut him down. And then when we look at the Patriots, they're sitting at a four and four record. Uh, They had a very nice win against the New York jets on the road last week. And at that time, the jets were five and two at the time. So it was one of their better wins of the year so far. So, New England looks to keep up their winning ways in this one. So this could be a pretty interesting game. We'll kind of see how it plays out. But Kev, to kick this one to you. we got the Colts going up against the Patriots in Gillette Stadium on Sunday. Who do you think is going to come out on top and why? Well, Kyle and I do
1: this every time we play each other. Talk a lot of smack. Barely text each other throughout the game. And if we do, it's usually at the end. But I got to go with the Patriots, man. I don't really have faith in Sam. Bill Belichick always finds ways to actually dominate opposing quarterbacks when it's his first time playing them, whether it's an undrafted free agent, whether it's a rookie, it really doesn't make a difference. It's more so of his veteran presence, the defense that he has in front of him, and of course, the talent that he has around him just always finds a way to make it a hell for the opposing quarterbacks going into New England. And this is in Foxborough, so this is going to be... One hell of a game. A lot of smack talk. Obviously, Jonathan Taylor's been hurt. We just traded Naheem Hines. I mean, our offensive line has been piss poor. The defense shows, like I said, flashes, as I've said all year. Like, we have some good pressures. We'll make a good play. But overall, I just don't necessarily have faith that the offense is going to be able to do anything competitive against this defense. I mean, they forced, what was it, Kyle? Three turnovers against Zach Wilson last week. And at least Zach Wilson has a season and a half under his belt, if not maybe a little bit more than a full season, because he was hurt last year and this year. But Sam's got one start to his name, and Sam did good things last week. Sam did some bad things, but that offensive line is just horrific, and I don't necessarily have the faith that they're going to be able to stop Judon. I don't know if he's going to be able to get the ball away from the secondary, uh, and of course, we have pretty much one of the worst rushing offenses in the NFL, so I don't have a lot of faith for my team. Call it negativity. Call it betting on the statistics, but it's just genuinely, now that Marcus Brady has been fired, Frank Reich is you know assuming all rights to the offense. Goodums, um, you know, just so you guys can see in the camera. That's my excitement for everything that's to come offensively for this team come up on Sunday, but I'm going to go to Patriots by 10 to 14 points. I wouldn't be surprised if the Colts don't score more than 10 or 14 themselves, just because, again, the ineptitude of this offense has been consistent, if anything else. But yeah, I got the Pats winning this one, and I don't think it's going to be close.
0: Yeah, Kev, I agree with you 100% on this one, too. I got the Patriots winning this one. And it's not just because you know the Patriots are my team, and this is a run back of the Colts and Patriots rivalry. I just don't see how the Colts can go up to Foxborough and get this win on Sunday, just because when I look at the matchup of Sam Ellinger going up against that Patriots defense, it's not a favorable one. When I look at what the Patriots did last week to the Jets against Zach Wilson, it was a nightmare scenario for the Jets. I mean, Zach Wilson got picked off three times in that game. And I know that Zach Wilson is in his second year as an NFL quarterback, but I thought the defensive game plan that the Patriots pitched against Zach made him look like a rookie again. And it's not the first time where Zach has really struggled against the Patriots. And now with the Patriots going up against Sam this week, unless the Colts make a really solid game on running the football, they're going to have to rely on Sam to be able to, Make some plays, and I don't think it's going to happen against that Patriots secondary. They're really opportunistic. The Patriots have been bringing solid pass rushes the entire year with Matt Judon and Dietrich Wise, who have been both having solid years on getting to the quarterback this year. And I just don't think that by and large the Colts are going to be able to score a lot of points here. And then when I kick it over to the Patriots offense, Patriots offense has been shaky this year. There's no other way to say it. They've been really turnover prone. Mac Jones definitely looks like he's going through a sophomore slump this year. And even though that they won that game against the Jets last week, it wasn't really convincing. There were multiple times where that Patriots defense was able to get that offense turnovers in a limited field to work with. And they ended up cashing in on field goals instead of touchdowns. So even with all that said, the Patriots are sitting at a 500 record. And with the way that they've looked this year, that's actually kind of a surprise to me because realistically, they could be like a three and five team. So taking a four and four record into week nine is pretty solid. All things considered, we'll see what happens going against the Colts. But I think by and large, with the way that that defense has been playing, I think that's going to be the, the primary factor and the reason why the Patriots win that game on Sunday against the Colts. I think the Patriots, offense is going to maybe score somewhere around maybe 20 to 24 points I don't think it's going to be that like they're not going to light up the scoreboard if anybody's thinking that just because Mac has been inconsistent Ramondre Stevenson has been a bright spot for the Patriots offense so far and he'll probably get a decent amount of touch, touches we'll see what happens with Damian Harris he's kind of up in the air he's questionable going into Sunday but by and large I think the Patriots are going to maybe get two touchdowns maybe three on the board and then you know add a Field goal on top of that, and I think what it, I think when it comes to the Colts, I think they're going to be lucky to score fourteen to seventeen points. So I think the Patriots are going to win this one by at least a touchdown. I'd probably say two possessions. They might win this one by ten points when it's all said and done. If I had to throw a score on it, I'm going to say the Patriots win this one 24 to fourteen. They would bump up to five and four on the record. They would bump up to five and four with their record. They would get above five hundred and. You know, we'll see what happens with them for the rest of the year, just because that AFC East is really competitive this year. But what Kev, when it comes to the Colts and I hate to kind of put it this way to you, I think the Colts are going to be pretty much on a downward slide here. It's not that I don't have faith in Sam Ellinger. It's just that offensive line has been a major point of contention this year. Their run game is not effective. Jonathan Taylor's status going into this game is not that good. We'll we'll see whether or not that he plays and he might even be limited if he were to play it just seems like the Colts are falling apart and I don't know how they're going to be able to kind of get back into a winning way. Essentially. It just seems like this team has nowhere to go, but down. And I know that's really pessimistic, but I don't think it's a good matchup for them against the Patriots on Sunday. And I just see the Patriots coming out on top in this one.
1: Yeah. Normally we have friendly banter. Both our teams are at least solid. Your team more solid than mine, at least on a consistency basis. But for my team to literally just have all this hype to start the season and basically just be the epitome of shit, and then our offensive line that we pay the most money to in the league, um, basically be if not the last pass protecting team to bottom tier, uh, I just it's it's infuriating. And uh, you know, a matchup like this is something that the two of us have talked shit to each other for years, and this has been quite the long friendship, and it's always been friendly, fun banter. Have you beaten us the majority of time? Yeah, but our teams were more competitive. And, uh, you know, at this point, uh, I just don't feel that that's the same anymore. It sucks because, you know, we're both diehard fans and, you know, you want to see your team go out there and play its best football. But this year we both haven't played the greatest, but Belichick has always found a way to go out there and and either scrummage up a win, get a gritty win, play tough defense, something of that magnitude to where Frank Reich is the, the complete opposite. It's just like he is always out-coached week in and week out. But I can go on and on about this one for fucking hours. So let's just move on before I have me a, a crying fit and I take out the violin.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, bro, I think the Colts are only a couple ways from giving you an aneurysm at this point. So, yeah, it, it, you know, I, it's I'll kind of ra- wrap it up with this. They're in trouble. They, they're in trouble. And I'll see how it's going to improve anytime soon. But... Uh, with that said, we are going to transition to our next game, and that is going to be a pretty interesting matchup that's going to take place in Atlanta, and that's going to feature the Los Angeles Chargers and the Atlanta Falcons. So just to kind of give you guys a quick preview of this game, uh, we got the Chargers sitting at a 4-3 and record. Uh, they are coming off of a bye week, and the week before that, they effectively got smacked by the Seattle Seahawks. They gave up over 35 points in that game, And not only that, just injuries with the Chargers has been a focal point for them this season. And granted, you know, going into this week, I thought they would have been a little bit healthier, but Keenan Allen's having some lingering issues with that hamstring. Mike Williams is dealing with a high ankle sprain. JC Jackson's out for the rest of the year. So the Chargers, from just a unit perspective, they're dinged up. And then when we look at the Falcons, the Falcons are in first place in the NFC South eight weeks into the year or going into week nine. And I don't think anybody had that on their potential, I guess results, you know, going into the month of November. So it is really kind of a surprise that the Falcons have been this solid so far, and they're looking to extend their winning ways after what Kevin, and I considered probably the best game or one of the best games of week eight uh, this past weekend When they won an overtime winner against the Carolina Panthers by the score of 37 to 34. I believe that was the score. That was the final score of that game. So this will be an interesting matchup. This is probably a game that Kevin and I wouldn't have really circled on our calendar. But with the way that both teams have been playing so far, this is going to be a pretty solid matchup when it takes place on Sunday. So Kev, to kick this one to you, we got the Chargers going up against the Falcons this weekend. Who do you think is going to win in Atlanta and why? I mean, I just want to be transparent.
1: Both teams are not in the position that Kyle and I had predicted to start the season. We thought Atlanta would be in the bottom tier of the South. We thought that the Chargers would be one of the best teams in the league. And they're literally in the opposite predictions of what we had assumed. You know, the Falcons are first place in the NFC South and the Chargers are just fighting for relevancy at this point. I know they're only a game behind the Chiefs, but it's like... They are not winning in the capacity that we thought they would after the free agency that they had, especially with the acquisitions of JC Jackson, Khalil Mack, and so many others. But now you go and you look at it, and like Kyle said, it's the opposite because of injuries. JC's out for the year. Mike Williams has a high ankle sprain. Keenan Allen's barely played more than a game or two this season because of that hamstring injury. Obviously, you have Joey Bosa out for the season. It is just something after something after something. It's one thing after another, and it's almost hindering... capability of performing because you're putting all the pressure on Justin Herbert. You forget that you have um, Austin Eckler in the backfield, but then they don't forget because he's their leading receiver in terms of receptions and yards. it's, It's almost kind of crazy. I mean, I'm looking at the statistics right now and well, maybe not in yards, excuse me, but in receptions, Austin Eckler has 53 targets. That's more than Devontae Adams. And that's more than multiple top number one receivers in the NFL thus far. I mean, that's rivaling almost Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup is somewhere in the 60s. That's just ridiculous that a running back has that many receptions. So that goes to show there's not a lot of faith outside of the receivers that are not Mike Williams and that are not Keenan Allen. So I'm going to go with the Falcons because I feel like the Falcons got a big confidence booster last week. Marcus Mariota has been playing great with the secondary hurt, or should I say not playing efficiently as much as they should be in LA. I think that Kenyon Drake's not Kenyon Drake, Drake London is going to have a big game. Kyle Pitts is a walking mismatch, but I think that Kyle Pitts will be locked up because Derwin James is the best cover safety in the league. We saw what he did to Travis Kelsey just a couple of months ago, and uh, I'm pretty sure that, you know, Travis Kelsey is just a little bit better than Kyle Pitts. So I think from that perspective, Atlanta is going to have to lean on the run game, and I think that they're going to have to keep the ball away from Justin Herbert because we all know that in this Brandon Staley offense, they throw it a lot. I mean, Justin Herbert is is throwing it 40, 50 times a game, week in and week out. And I understand that's because they feel like they can't run the ball. But I just, I personally, I'm not understanding why Austin Eckler doesn't get the ball more than he already does. So I'm going to go with the Falcons. I will say that this could be a close one, especially because this one's in Atlanta. Atlanta's defense isn't exactly something stellar. And if Justin Herbert were to light it up, I could see this being another shootout. So I got Atlanta winning this one 28-24. Going to be one of those close games that come down to the wire. Uh, however, something to pay attention for, the Chargers did sign a backup kicker because Hopkins is hurt. So something to monitor and see if the consistency is going to be uh, working there on special teams. So I'll definitely take Atlanta, but it will be a close game.
0: Yeah, honestly, if I had looked at this game a couple of weeks ago and you take away all of the injury issues that the Chargers have dealt with this year, I would have thought the Chargers would, the Chargers would win this game by probably two touchdowns just because, They, their offense is just solid from top to bottom. I don't have that faith anymore. And I know they're coming off of a bye week, but the injury issues are just so paramount with this team. I don't know how they're going to be able to overcome those injuries. So Kev, I'm with you on this one. I think the Falcons are going to win this one in a stunner. I don't think a lot of people are thinking that the Falcons are going to win this game. But from what I've seen from them the last couple weeks, they've given me enough faith to actually pick them in this game. and. Kev, I'm going to be honest with you. I can't believe I'm actually picking them. So when I look back to that game against the Panthers last week with the Falcons specifically, I thought that they were amazing offensively, especially in that fourth quarter, because that fourth quarter, both the Panthers and the Falcons were just matching touchdowns back and forth. And I will say, even though that the Panthers looked like they were going to win the game at the end, based on some, I would say, mental mistakes by the Panthers game ends up going to overtime. And then the Falcons capitalize it on hitting a game-winning field goal and getting them to the win and getting the first place in the NFC South. And then, you know, tr- you transition into this game. I think there's a very good chance that they could be able to replicate the su- the success that they had against the Panthers when they go up against the Chargers this week. Because let's face it, Kev, this Chargers defense is not that good. And I know that injuries have played a major factor with them this year. Like you said, JC Jackson's out for the rest of the year. You know, granted they do have Derwin James, but you know, Joey Bose is out for the rest of the year. So it just seems from, I guess, a unit perspective defensively, this defense can't be had. And when I look back to how the Chargers played against the Seahawks the week before their bye, they got absolutely annihilated by Seattle. Geno Smith was effective, Kenneth Walker was effective, and even though that the Seahawks have really been kind of one of the more surprising teams this year, the fact that they put up 37 points against that Chargers defense was spectacular as far as you're looking at it from the Seahawks' perspective, but it was an absolute nightmare from the Chargers' perspective. And even though that, I wouldn't say that the Falcons have superstars on their offense but they have guys that can be effective Kyle Pitts I think is going to be a major factor I wouldn't be surprised if he gets somewhere between six to eight targets I wouldn't be surprised on the run game that Tyler I'm going to try to get his last name right Tyler Algier I'm probably butchering his last name but if you're a Falcons fan you know the potential with this with with him Tyler's a solid running back he's able to get effective runs on the ground. He's also able to extend plays after first contact. So wouldn't be surprised if he has a solid game on the ground. And then as long as Marcus Mariota is just consistent in his overall efficiency and his overall completion percentage, I think that by and large, the Falcons have the requisite pieces to be able to get this win against the chargers. The chargers, we'll see what happens with them. Because Keenan Allen is kind of up in the air with that hamstring issue. Joshua Palmer will return this week. So maybe they can kind of get kickstarted kick on the offense a little bit, but they don't have Mike Williams. He's recovering from a high ankle sprain. So it, it just seems like the Chargers are just snake bitten with injuries this year. And until they really get healthy as a unit, which they really can't because there are some guys that are just out for the rest of the year. I think the Chargers are going to relatively struggle. So When I looked at this game, I think it is going to be a high-scoring affair just because I think both teams defensively are going to struggle, and it's kind of been their M.O. this year. But I think Atlanta's going to come out on top. I think Marcus Mariota is going to do more than Justin Herbert in this matchup, which is crazy for me to say just because I know what Justin Herbert's capable of. It's just I think the Falcons have a little bit more to work with here, and you tie in all the injuries on the defensive side of the ball with the Chargers. I think the Falcons are going to get the dub here. I'm going to say it's going to be a relatively close game. I think it's going to be a one-possession win for the Falcons when it's all said and done. If I had to put a score on it, I'm going to say it's going to be 31-27 to in favor of the Falcons. And that would bump them up to 5-4 and on the season nine weeks into the year. And depending on how it works out uh, throughout the rest of the NFC South, it could potentially even widen their margin for first place when it's all said and done.
1: It's, again, it's weird that we're talking about this game being competitive. It's just, it to me, it's just mind-boggling because both teams are just not at all what you would have expected this far into the season. And I know I already said that in my analysis previously. It's just, I'm not going to get over the fact that the Falcons are sitting here in first place in the NFC South and playing as competitive as they have been game in and game out. I mean, they almost won the Bucks game. They came really close to p- defeating the Super Bowl champions in the fourth quarter in week two, like... They are playing really good football right now. And who's to say that they can't ride this into a playoff berth, of course, because if they win the division, that's an automatic berth. But again, just the opposite of the pedigree of the, the the Chargers, the expectations that multiple people had, including ourselves. You can say that injuries had a lot to do with it, but they were playing poorly before the injuries had started. So let's not get it twisted here. So the the Chargers got their own problems to figure out at the moment, but I don't know what's going to happen. So... Let's just let it ride out. Time will tell, and we'll just have to see what happens at this point.
0: All right, so up next, we have got a pretty solid matchup that's going to take place in the NFC West. It is going to be the Cardinals and the Seahawks. So just to kind of give you guys a quick preview of this game, this game is going to take place in Arizona. Um, we we'll focus on Seattle here since they are the away team. They are sitting at a 5-3 and three record right now. They do hold first place in the NFC West, which I don't think anybody expected through the first eight weeks of the year, more than likely you would have probably thought that the the Rams or the 49ers would probably be the two top teams in the NFC West right now, but that is not the case. Seattle has been a really solid team so far this year. Geno Smith is having just a consistent year to say the least. They're getting good contributions from Kenneth Walker and sitting at a five and three record, you know, they've really been one of the more surprising teams in the 2022 season so far. And then we kick it over to the Cardinals. They're sitting at a 3-5 and five record. Uh, they've been up and down, to say the least, the last couple weeks. Um, they did get DeAndre Hopkins back into the fold a couple weeks ago since he's no longer serving that six-game suspension, and they're definitely going to need Hop to step up big in this one. Not only that, they're going to need Kyler Murray and that defense to play up the snuff as well if they're going to want to make a run to try to get back to some sort of contention in the NFC West before the year finishes up so Kev to kick this one to you we got the Seahawks going up against the Cardinals in week nine on Sunday who do you think is going to come out on top from this NFC West battle to be completely honest I don't think this is going to be
1: close I think that outside of the matchup of DeAndre Hopkins and of course you know Kyler Murray their connection The Arizona Cardinals have been pretty lackluster, so to speak, on offense. There has been a lot of um, ruffling of the feathers between Cliff Kingsbury and uh, Kyler Murray. There has been a lot of issues and drama with play calling. So it's just a matter of when it's going to happen in terms of when that issue is going to just continue to arise and erupt. Since DeAndre Hopkins has come back, however, he has absolutely killed it in terms of, I believe he's got 22, 23 catches in two games by himself. So that's not going to be a problem. And I think that the Seahawks defense is going to be having some issues with just that matchup in and of itself. But if you can make sure that you keep DeAndre in check, or should I say, just let him do what he does and everybody else is kind of kept in order. I think that it's going to be pretty fair for the pretty fair to excuse me pretty safe to say that the Cardinals are going to fall short and the Seahawks are going to sweep the season series against the Cardinals. I think Geno Smith, DK Metcalf, Kenneth Walker, and so many other pieces have come to be reliable sources for Geno to rely on. And I think that, of course, at the end of the day, Pete Carroll and this team have just really outshined and you know exceeded expectations in pretty much every category you can possibly understand. Uh, the defense has been playing well the last two, three weeks. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, they held the charges to 13 points. Last week, they actually, what was it? Last week, they played the uh, the Giants. They held them to 13, 14 points. It, their defense is playing good against pretty good football teams, if I had to say so myself. So if I had to say, if I had to put this one into a prediction, I would say that the Cardinals lose. The Seahawks win this game by... Trying to be fair but at the same time be realistic, I think that the Seahawks can win this game easily by maybe 10 to 14 points just because again, they're riding a high wave, their offense is riding high and the defense is playing a lot better than what they've had in recent memory. So I will say that the Seahawks win this one confidently and they move to 6 and 3 in a surprising division lead in the NFC West.
0: Yeah, Kev, I'm with you 100% on this one. Uh, I think the Seahawks are going to beat the uh they are going to beat the Cardinals this week just to kind of uh make a point. Uh they gave up 23 points to the Chargers. Two weeks. I knew it had a three. Damn, yeah, it love a three it. A, But still, I mean, you look at the last two weeks specifically, they're only giving up, what, 18 points per game the last two weeks against some pretty solid opponents with the Chargers and Giants, all things considered. So, no, I, when it comes to their defense, I think that they've been stepping up. They've been opportunistic, and they're forcing turnovers. But just to kind of dive into the game itself, yeah, I think the, I think the uh, Seahawks are going to win this one pretty convincingly. Uh, they've really been one of the more surprising teams in the NFL this year, and it's simply just because of the rise that Geno Smith has had. I don't think anybody expected Geno Smith to be this effective with the Seattle Seahawks. I think a lot of people would have let the Seattle as a team kind of in decline just based off of the fact that they traded Russell Wilson away. But looking back at that whole scenario, I think they are probably for the better for getting rid of Russell Wilson. When you see how bad that Russell has played with the Broncos so far and Geno Smith, uh, you know, I don't know if he's going to win NFL comeback player of the year, but man, with the way that he's been playing, he has been just outright phenomenal for Seattle. And he's really a big reason why that Seattle's sitting at a five and three record right now in first place in the NFC West. And in this matchup, I think that Geno Smith is just going to continue this level of consistency. I mean, I don't expect them to go, 300, 350 yards passing and four touchdowns and light it up like Patrick Mahomes. But I wouldn't be surprised if he passes for somewhere in between 250 to 270 yards passing has maybe a touchdown or two. And it's just consistent with completing passes. I wouldn't be surprised if he completes somewhere around 65 to 70% of his passes, just because that Cardinals defense can't be had. Now, the first time that these two teams played, it was a relatively low scoring game. The Seahawks only won by 10 points, but it was a score of 19 to nine. So I think both teams are going to look back at the film when they played against each other a couple weeks ago. And I definitely think from an offensive perspective, this is going to be a higher scoring game. When you look back at the first matchup, the Cardinals didn't have Deandre Hopkins. He was still serving that suspension. Now that he's back in the fold. I mean, Kyler Murray is making it a point of emphasis to get D to get D hop the ball. And even though that, it came in a losing effort last week against the Chargers. Man, I thought that. Actually, no, it was against the Chargers. It was against the Vikings. Excuse me. I thought the D Hop was extremely effective, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Cardinals making a point of emphasis once again to get D Hop somewhere in between ten to fifteen catches. And pro, I mean, for God's sake, he might get somewhere around fifteen to seventeen targets. So, I, I think that more than likely, if the Cardinals are going to be any way effective in this game. D hop is going to have to have essentially a game where he's going to have to get 150 yards receiving and maybe a touchdown or two, just because outside of that, you have Rondale Moore, you have Zach Ertz, but I think when it comes to Seattle's defense, I think that they could be able to contain those guys. It's whether or not that Seattle's defense is going to be able to contain D hop. And I think that's going to be a challenge for them. And that's why I think that this game is going to be a little bit more high scoring than the first matchup, just because I think points are, aren't going to come at a premium here. I think both teams are going to be able to offensively move the ball up and down the field against each opposing defense. But I think what it's all said and done, I just have a little bit more faith in Seattle than I do with the Cardinals at this point. Um, I think when it comes to this game, I think that Seattle is going to win by 10 points here. And if I had to put a score on it, I'm going to say Seattle wins this one by the score of 34 to 24. I really see this game being a high scoring affair and, yeah, I'm just really shocked that Seattle has been this effective so far. And if they continue this effective style of offense and you combine that with the fact that they've been great on the run game, Geno's been solid, and their defense is getting turnovers pretty consistently, I think that's a winning formula for them. I think it repeats itself in this matchup against the Cardinals, and they would bump up to 6-3 and three on the record once this game goes final on Sunday.
1: NFC West matchups are always entertaining. There's never a game that you can really say that's a snooze fest. I mean, as as bad as other teams in the division outside of Seattle have been, um, they don't necessarily roll over. And, you know, outside of the couple blowouts that San Francisco gave the defending champions... I would say that the division has been relatively competitive for for the most part. I mean, Arizona doesn't go out here and they don't just like roll over despite being down multiple scores. You don't ever see the Rams really give up. They just start off slow and it it becomes an uphill battle and they compete. But it's just outside of San Fran and Seattle, it hasn't necessarily been something that it has been in the past like we've talked about before. The NFC East is the most competitive division in football this year. And uh it's just weird. Like Kyle and I talked about this a little bit um personally like when we weren't recording. This has been an odd NFL season. Like there are teams that are just struggling when they shouldn't be. There are teams that are surprising and exceeding expectations and then there's teams that are just playing piss poor all over the place. So it's kind of just like a wacky situation here, but I mean overall I think it's going to be a pretty solid game and if hey D Hop, if you hear this, I got you in fantasy, bro. <laughs> if you want to go pop off for seventeen catches, maybe a little one seventy five, maybe two touchdowns or something like that, go off, King. I ain't gonna tell you no.
0: I mean, it might come in a losing effort, but it's not because they're not gonna lose no, my because of him. So, yeah, it's just I just don't have a lot of faith in the Cardinals. I mean, they can be effective in stretches, but it, they just can't do it consistently. no So, yeah, and that's kind of their biggest impediment, as far as I see it, and. I, honestly, I think the Seahawks have a really good chance to put up some points against that that Cardinals defense. I understand it. it's an NFC West but divisional game. And typically, those may be a little bit more closer affairs. Um, but in this one, I think Seattle's going to look back to that game film from a couple of weeks ago. Going to find some holes to exploit in that Cardinals defense and make it a point of emphasis uh, to get some touchdowns on the board. So them always scoring 19 points a couple of weeks ago. Granted, it wasn't a win but I know that's that Pete Carroll and uh, the offensive personnel are probably going to look at that situation. It's like, we could do better than that. It's like, there's definitely some points that could be had against that defense. So with that said, we are going to transition to one of our featured matchups this weekend, and that is going to be the Los Angeles Rams going up against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I use that term featured very loosely here because, let's face it, the Rams and the Bucs have been major disappointments this year. The Rams are sitting at a 3-4 and four record. The Bucks are sitting at a 3-5 and five record. The Rams, just from an offensive perspective, they are really struggling to protect Matt Stafford. They can't run the ball effectively. And by and large, it's just been a grind this year for the Rams to get anything consistently going on the offensive side of the ball. Not only that, Cooper Cup is dealing with an ankle injury to make matters worse, and it just seems as if to say it's an uphill battle for the Rams this year is an understatement. And they're coming off of a Super Bowl uh, championship last year. And it just looks like a completely different team this year. And then you can get over to Tampa. And a lot of the same issues that the Rams are experiencing, you could apply it to Tampa. Tampa's lost three straight games. Tom Brady has looked frustrated with the lack of productivity that the offense just can't get whatsoever. Not only that. They can't run the ball effectively. The offensive line is suspect at best. And looking at the Bucs right now, they're sitting in second place. They're two games under 500, second Second place in the NFC South, I should say, just to be more specific. And I would just say this for both teams. They really need a win here. Because if one of these teams lose, you have to start putting out the possibility of that team, whether it be the Rams or the Bucs, potentially missing the playoffs this year. So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, when it comes to the Rams and the Buccaneers in this weeknight matchup, who do you think is going to win? But more importantly, who do you think needs this win more, the Rams or the Bucs? So this, is,
1: this is probably one of the hardest predictions I've had to come up with in terms of this particular matchup. Mind you, these teams played each other in the playoffs last year, which ended up being one of the more electrifying games at that, point, at that moment in time. Both teams are horrible. And they have mirrored issues that just make this even more comical for me personally. Both teams can't run the football. Both teams' offensive lines are horrible. They've had some injuries on both sides of the football. And of course, at the end of the day, both quarterbacks are known to be pretty electrifying quarterbacks, but they haven't been able to produce because they basically had no time to throw the ball. And when they do, they're hurried into making terrible decisions. So it's like, it's kind of a toss-up of who's worse at this point, not really who's better. In my opinion, I think this is more pivotal for the freaking Buccaneers because I think that the Rams are just teetering and getting worse and worse as weeks progress. The Bucs are as well, but the Bucs are because the offensive line is just missing a couple of pieces. But they also are the worst team in running the football. So it's like I'm almost contradicting myself here, Kyle. It's almost kind of comical because I just... I can't make a definitive decision. I don't know who's going to win this game. I don't care who's going to win this game because they're just both bad football teams and they both fail to execute in the most important situations. If I had to make a prediction on who will win, I'm going to go with the Buccaneers. I don't think Tom Brady loses four games in a row. I think that the defense is going to get some healthy people back. I think there's going to be an emphasis to run the football against this team that is statistically not one of the better defenses in the league. And I didn't say they were the worst, but they're not exactly one of those higher up their defenses like the Bills, the 49ers and the Eagles, which by the way, the Eagles moved to 8 and 0 for the first time in franchise history, so kudos to them. Um, and I'm looking at this and I'm saying I just I think Tom is going to have one of those games where he wills the team to victory. He's going to just be in everybody's faces in the coaching staff all over the place. Like there's just going to be an emphasis of Guys, we're not falling this far down. Like we are not about to be outdueled by a worse football team on the other side. For God's sakes, Cam Akers doesn't even want to play for this franchise at the moment. They're focusing on trying to get Odell, and that's not going to make a difference. They need to fix the offensive line in reference to the Rams. So I'm going to go with the Bucks, but I'm going to say it's going to be a low-scoring, really weird game. I think for a fact this is probably going to be somewhere around 14 to 17, just because both offenses are pretty inept. Cooper Cooper Cup is hurt. They're really trying to get uh, Allen Robinson incorporated, but I just don't necessarily have faith that that is going to be enough to combat Buccaneers. Um, Buccaneers' defense hasn't exactly been stellar of late, but they've been dealing with injuries, so I'm hoping that some players are going to be able to return, like Antoine Winfield and others, so we will see what happens, but I got the Bucks winning this one in an actual ugly nail-biter,
0: 17-14. Kevin, I think the best way that I could describe this game for both teams is this is a chance for both teams to hit the reset button because I think it's safe to say the first half of the seasons for both the Rams and the Bucks have been absolute tire fires. And just from a record perspective, I mean the Rams are sitting at three and four, the Bucks are sitting at three and five, the Bucks have lost three straight games. And I think it's just, there's a major sense of urgency for both teams. Like they have to get this game because if they do, they can at least stay in the playoff hunt one of these teams lose, and then we have to start talking about whether or not that they're going to miss the playoffs. And I think that's a realistic expectation for both teams if they were to lose this game. So this is a very difficult pick for me, but I'm going with the Bucs. I don't have a lot of faith in it, but I'm going to do my best to explain why. So when it comes to the Bucks, I got to see something from them to show me that this offense can finally get a kickstart. And I will say that there were stretches when they played against the Ravens on that Thursday night game in week eight last week where there were some flashes. And then it was followed up by punt, punt, punt. It, it just, it seems as if whenever the Bucks get into a situation where they're facing a third down, they just can't convert consistently. And it usually just comes down to the down and distance. They're not dealing with like third and one, third and two, third and three. In that case, you open up the playbook, you can run it, you could show pass. It kind of puts the defense that they're going up against on their heels because the offense can be flexible in that way. But that's not really the case here. A lot of the times the Bucs are dealing with third and five or longer. And that typically means that the Bucks are going to pass and they just haven't been able to cash in on those third-down conversions. And that's why the offense has really been sputtering to put any points on the board. And then when you look at their offensive line, they've been very suspect. They're giving up hurries, they're giving up pressures. Tom is not as comfortable in the pocket as he's been in years past. And you could just tell that it's an absolute grind for the Bucs to get anything consistently on the offensive side of the ball. But looking at the Rams and their defense specifically, they've been suspect this year. And I do believe that the Bucs have the requisite pieces to be able to burn this defense on a couple plays that could lead to some scoring drives here. But, you know, when you look at the Rams, the Rams need this game probably just as much as the Bucs do but they've been dealing with a lot of the same issues that the Bucs have been having poor offensive line play. They can't run the ball effectively. When you combine those two factors together, the overall result leads to just inconsistency on the offensive side of the ball for the Rams. And then it has a domino effect because that Rams defense is out on the field longer than they need to be. And they're getting torched. They're giving up points. It's really just been, I would say just a well-rounded failure for the Rams at this point compared to where they were last year. I mean, they won the Super Bowl against the Bengals, and they look like a completely different team this year. It looks unrecognizable compared to this team or compared to that team from last year. So, this is a situation where, honestly, this game is like a toilet bowl, just to kind of put it bluntly. But, Kev, I'm with you. I am going to pick the Bucks in this one. I do think it is going to be a rather ugly game. And I think points are gonna come at a premium here just because both offenses just can't generate anything consistently as far as scoring touchdowns are concerned. So if I had to put a score on it, I think that Tampa probably wins this game by a possession. I think that Tom and the offense for the Bucks do just enough. I think this is gonna be like a twenty one to seventeen score, just because I don't see the Rams putting up that many points against that Bucks defense just because the Bucks are getting some players back that They've been dealing with injuries, so maybe we'll see Antoine Winfield Jr. and Sean Murphy Bunting and Carlton Davis. So if those guys are able to return, that would definitely give a huge boost for Tampa. And then I think that Rams defense is going to falter a little bit against Tampa's offense just because I think that Tampa still has the requisite pieces to be able to score some points against them. But it's going to be a grind. This game is just going to be an outright grind for both teams, but I'm going to favor the Bucks in this one in a really close affair.
1: To be honest, as much as I want to watch this game, it's like something's compelling me not to, because I just I don't feel like it's gonna be entertaining. And I'm one Mm -hmm. to always say defensive games for me are just I I I personally like watching those. And it's like I don't know if it's necessarily gonna be defensive or if it's like the fact that both offenses are just so bad and incompetent. So
0: It, it, it just it's like you said, I think that you pretty I think you described it pretty well. A lot of the issues that one team is dealing with, you can mirror it to the other team. And they're very similar. I mean, who would have thought that the bucks and the Rams would be sitting at a sub 500 record when we're going into the month of November? I don't think we had any expectation of that. And I can't say that one team is really worse than the other. I mean, they seem like a very similar team just with different names on it. So. I think it just comes down to a situation where they're gonna to have to look at the first half of the year and they're just gonna to have to throw it up in flames because they I would probably think that both teams know that they're better than what they put out the first two months they of have the season. To. So, you know, and there still is time. You know, they got two months to be able to rectify the first half of the year and, and get back into it. But yeah, I think it's gonna be an uphill battle for both teams, to be honest with you. It- it's going to be I, weird. I I think the Bucks have a better chance to get their season back on track. I think the Rams, they got to contend with the Seahawks and the 49ers in that division. That's going to be tough. The Bucs really only have to deal with the Falcons. That's, I think, the, the biggest reason why I think that the Bucs can get back. Just overall, the NFC South is just a really weak division. And, I mean, the NFC West is better. But I just don't know whether or not the, the Rams can be able to really turn it around. So it'll be interesting to see. I don't think it's going to be like one of like the best games that we'll see in Week 9. I think it's going to be a grind. So, you know, and a lot of people would probably think otherwise just because of Matt Stafford going up against Tom Brady. But this year, it's just both teams have been very subpar. But we'll leave that game where it's at. We'll transition to our last game that we'll cover for Week 9. And that is going to be the Titans- and the Chiefs matchup that is going to take place on Sunday night. Now, this game probably has a little bit more hype behind it just because the Titans are sitting at a 5-2 and two record. The Chiefs are sitting at a 5-2 and two record. This game is being played in KC, and Kev, I think that we could save just from the last couple of years in recent memory. Uh, KC's fans definitely show out on primetime games, and I wouldn't be surprised if those Chiefs fans are ready to rock and roll win that game goes off on sunday night so this will definitely be a solid game we got you know the division we got the division leaders in both the afc south and the afc west in this one so this will definitely be a fun game when it starts off on sunday night so kevin to get this one to you we got the titans going up against the chiefs on sunday night football and probably one of the better games of week nine who do you think is going to come out on top and why
1: I think this game is going to be the game of the week. I think that this game is going to surprise a lot of people because at the end of the day, we all know that the Titans are probably sitting at a record in which not many people thought they would because, you know, you lose A.J. Brown in the offseason, a couple of injuries to start the year in terms of some of the defensive players. Um, They started off rough, especially getting blown up by Buffalo in week two. It was just kind of like, it wasn't looking very well. Now, I'm looking at the predictions in terms of what, ESPN has their, their, their predictions as to who's going to win. And it's like 88% Kansas city, but this is also the same percentage bracket that Kyle said that they picked the uh, ESPN picked the Celtics to win the finals. And what was it, Kyle? 80 what percent?
0: It was like 86% that the Celtics would win over the warriors in the NBA finals. And that pretty much went up in flames.
1: Yeah. So I take this with a grain of salt. The only reason I say that this is up in the air is because Ryan Tannehill didn't play last week, Malik Willis did, and I'm trying to find the injury report for the Titans because I'm sitting here and I had to refresh my screen because pop-up ads, I got to renew my firewall, whatever. So I'm looking at it and it says, Ryan Tannehill is questionable, didn't practice on Thursday. So I don't know if that means as of this moment that he is going to potentially play, I don't know if they're holding him out because they want to save him for Sunday to be fresh, but that immediately changes the prediction. or not changes, but it in, it intensifies my prediction. I'm going KC no matter what. I think KC has their number. I think KC has a better overall team. Obviously, the better quarterback. The only thing that Tennessee really does have better is Derrick Henry. Just had 200 yards, but against one of the worst teams in football. I think KC finds a way to get re- ahead quickly. I think they torch the secondary of the Titans. Patrick Mahomes goes for three or four touchdowns. I think this is going to be one of those statement games where Pat says, I'm him. We're talking about Josh Allen, we're talking about Jalen Hurts and all these other people. This is this is mine. And we're talking about week nine. If this were to happen, they would move two games ahead of the Chargers in terms of the division. And I think that Patrick Mahomes absolutely says, I am going to win the MVP. I am going back to the Super Bowl. The Chiefs have a statement when they've been playing very, very well as of late, aside from the Buffalo loss, which was just very, very minute, by the way. Um, And I think that they take advantage and they they capitalize. And if Ryan Tannehill plays, I think they have a better chance. But if he does play, it's probably going to be limited. So if Malik Willis plays with that inexperience, this could easily turn into a 3 possession blowout because Malik Willis didn't really show much for me. Last week, that was all Derrick Henry. He had like 30 touches and he went off for 200 yards like I had already stated. Malik has promise. I mean, he has potential. He has the mobility. He has the arm strength. It's just he is not experienced enough for me to have faith to go up against a juggernaut like Kansas City, a potential Super Bowl favorite or, uh, you know, a Super Bowl participant upcoming in February. So I got the Chiefs. I don't think it's close. If Tannehill plays, it's a little bit closer, but not too much. They just have to find a way to at least limit Henry. And by limit, I mean, keep him under 200, which is a tall task in and of itself. But I think the Chiefs have the requisite pieces to do it. I think Kansas City dominates on Sunday night and it's not going to be close.
0: Yeah, I think this game is going to go one or two ways, but I do believe that it is going to go in Casey's favor. To me, it just depends on how much Casey's going to win by. And it it's dependent on Derrick Henry. If Derrick Henry pops off, it has one of his, you know, Derrick Henry vintage type games. Basically, just think of what he did to the Texans last week. If he has a game like that, then I think the Chiefs only win this one by like one possession. However, if the Chiefs are able to slow down Derrick Henry and contain him like the Bills did on that famous Monday night game a couple months ago, then I think the Chiefs win this one by three possessions. I think they could win this by win by 21, 24 points when it's all said and done. But I think that's really what it comes down to. I got the Chiefs winning this one, but it's whether or not that Derek Henry is going to pop off. And when I look at Tennessee this year specifically, it's been very hit or miss with Derek. Just because when they went up against the Bills, they got annihilated by Buffalo. And the reason why Buffalo was so successful was they just contained Derrick Henry. They didn't give him any chance to break out of tackles. And when you look at what the bill's offense did, they just lit it up and got to a point where the Titans had no other choice, but to pass the ball and keep it out of Derrick Henry's hands. When it comes to the chiefs this weekend, the chiefs have to do the same thing of what Buffalo did to Tennessee on that Monday night game a couple months back. And there's a very good chance that that could happen because when I look at the Titans defense, they've only been tested a few times this year. The bills were definitely a test earlier in the season and they outright failed and they really haven't had what I would consider some really tough offenses to go up against. Maybe you could say going up against the Raiders was a challenge simply just because the Raiders have a pretty solid offense to work with, but this is a night and day difference going up against Casey's offense. And When you look at Casey's offense, I mean, they're running and gunning. They put up 44, 45 points against the 49ers before their bye week. These guys are fresh. They're coming into a primetime game on Sunday night. There's a very good chance that if Patrick Mahomes and that Chiefs offense finds their rhythm early, the Chiefs could put up 40 points in this game. And I don't think there's anything that Tennessee could do defensively to be able to slow them down. It almost kind of seems like when the Chiefs get on a roll, it's almost as if like you're going through an avalanche defensively. It's just like, it's one after another. And it's just, it's a snowball effect. You know, if Casey gets off to a hot start, it's, that will get a touchdown after a touchdown after a touchdown, just one after another. So Tennessee is going to have to make this kind of a gutter type game. They're going to really e- emphasize running the football effectively with Derrick Henry to kind of make this game competitive. But I don't think that's going to be the case here. I think Casey's defense is going to be able to slow down Derrick Henry enough where Tennessee may get some early field goals if they get into position, but you know, you're talking about field goals. You have to score touchdowns against KC to be able to at least stay in the game. And I think that KC's offense is just going to run and gun. I, I, I think that Patrick Mahomes can put up 300, 350 yards passing in this one. I see a minimum of at least two touchdowns, more than likely, probably three. And I love the fact that Casey is finally starting to get Juju Smith Schuster more incorporated into the offense. Um, He's had some relatively solid games the last two appearances. Um, The first half of the year, he was very hit or miss. And I think going into this game, I think that wouldn't be a surprise to me if Patrick Mahomes and Juju really kind of connect for somewhere around, I'd say maybe six to eight targets. And I wouldn't be surprised if Juju gets about like five or six catches. Maybe he could get a hundred yards receiving, maybe a touchdown. But not only that, you know, they got a pretty solid run game to go on top of that. I think it's just going to be too much for Tennessee to handle defensively. So if I had to say, I think more than likely, I think that Casey's going to run away with this game. I think just to be fair, I said if Derrick Henry has a solid game, it would be a one possession game. I do believe that Derrick Henry's going to be effective early on, but I think in the second half, Tennessee's going to have to throw the ball a lot more. That, not, that means that Derrick Henry's not going to touch the rock as much, and I think Casey's just really going to run away with it in the second half. So I'm going to say that... Casey's going to win this one by three possessions. I think it'll be a 17-point margin when it's all said and done in favor of the Chiefs. If I had to throw a score on it, I'm going to say they win this one like 37-20. to I really see Patrick Mahomes just lighting up that Titans defense and really improving his MVP campaign for this season because he's definitely one of the contenders for MVP about nine weeks into the season.
1: I mean, I'd say he's definitely the front runner just because he leads the league in touchdown passes. Yeah. I mean, he leads the league's highest offensive scoring team in the league. I mean, it's just the list goes on as to why you would favor him. But yeah. uh, similar to what you said, the Titans haven't played anybody and they haven't exactly been winning by big margins outside of last week. Okay. So it's like, You're winning close games. Again, they're wins. I'm not discrediting them. But you're winning close games against mediocre to average football teams. And then the one really good team you played, which is the team that Kansas City lost to, which most people have lost to other than the Dolphins, were the Bills. And that was a massacre. It was week one. It was September. Blah, blah, blah. The excuses can run on and on. The point is you did not execute and your best player was literally a non-factor. I think he had under 30 yards rushing in like 12 or 14 attempts, whatever the total number is. He averaged like one yard a carry.
0: Unacceptable. That, that game it's got away game from rate. them. That game got away from them quickly and, and they couldn't recover. That but that the, how... but
1: the, the point is, a high-powered offense like the Bills is the same thing in Kansas City. It's it's Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. It's, it's, it's 1A and 1B. Big arm, big arm, athleticism, great receivers, great team, great coaching. It, it, it's literally identical. I don't think Tennessee has gotten better to the point where they can stay within a seven-point game to make this competitive. Mm -hmm. If you're just going to rely on giving your running back the ball 30 times a game, which is time-consuming, and you don't capitalize and score touchdowns, we've seen Pat Mahomes score in under a minute. I mean, for God's sakes, he drove up against the Bills in 13 seconds to get a field goal. If you give him a four quarters and a a lower-tier average defense, which is what the Titans are— I think that this is going to go, I think this is going to go stupid. I think Pat, again, I think Pat Mahomes has a statement game for 400, maybe even 450. Bro, I, I have no faith, especially if Tannehill doesn't play. No shot. This game is anywhere in, in reach for Tennessee to scrape a victory.
0: Yeah. And the thing is like when it comes to Derrick Henry, specifically, if, a, if he's going to have a good game, I mean, this is the game where they need him to have a really good game because if he is contained in any way, shape or form, Casey's going to run away with this game. There's no way. And the thing is, whether it's Malik Willis or Ryan Tannehill, you really think that those guys are equipped to take out Patrick Mahomes and that Chiefs offense? There's no way. Now Derrick Henry can't. He he could really disrupt that whole game flow for, for KC if you know the Tennessee Titans O line could be able to win that battle on the line of scrimmage. And that, to me, is where the real battle is going to take place in that KC-Titans game. It's going to be that offensive line for the Titans. Can they be able to open up some run lanes for Derrick Henry to be able to exploit? Because if he has a game in any way, shape, or form, like he had against the Texans last week, KC might be in a little bit of trouble. It's, I'm it's not going saying, to be a
1: long night, for I'm sure.
0: Not, I'm not saying... I'm still of the mindset, even if Derrick Henry has a really good game, I'm still of the mindset that KC's going to win. Yeah, It's just... the the margin of victory is going to be shorter. It's going to be smaller. That's all. I just... I don't see Tennessee walking into Arrowhead on Sunday night and getting a win. I just don't see it. So, I think it's going to be electric, though. I think the atmosphere is going to be lit. Those Casey fans never, never fail to disappoint. Impress. Yeah, they never... They're always ready to rock and roll, so they'll be good to go on Sunday night. But overall, man, I think Casey's going to run away with this one. I, I just really see that one being an absolute I guess you could kind of say like an annihilation on Sunday night maybe that's a little bit too far for me to say maybe exaggerating a little bit I think that Casey wins that game convincingly though so uh with that said we are gonna go over the Astros and the Phillies game now as of right now the game is still ongoing I mean I say this all the I'm time watching so. it right now it's, it's crazy so as of right now Uh, We're in the bottom. Is it the bottom of the eighth inning? Bottom of the eighth, two on, one out. Interesting.
1: It's 3-1 Houston. Obviously, the series is tied 2-2. But this game, this is the last game in Philadelphia for this series because Houston has home field advantage. And it's not like the NBA where it's 2-2, 1-1-1. It is 2-3-2. So if Philly does not win this game, the odds are very slim to go on and win two in a row out there in Houston, so Philly is looking to try to break this game open, at least by a minimum tie it. They have last licks in terms of being able to hit in the bottom of the ninth, so we will see what happens. It looks like Montero's losing control in terms of not being able to find the strike zone, so let's take a look and see if Seguro can knock one in.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know we kind of talked about it earlier in the episode, but really, like, this series just as a whole, it's been one team has a really good game, and then that same team the next game falters. It's really been kind of a back-and-forth series uh, since game one took place. And, I mean, just to kind of kick it to, like, game three in particular, the Phillies looked absolutely unstoppable. I mean, they were a everything. So, knocks every- one in, baby. Oh, so it's three to two? Yes, sir. Now, who's still on base?
1: Uh, man out, man in the corners, uh, third and first, one out. Okay. Where's guys, I'm not a Phillies fan. We all know I'm a Yankees fan, but where, hatred where you, for the Astros is globally.
0: Where are you watching this, by the way? Cause I've had Laptop. I, I, yeah, what's your, what, what's the link?
1: Oh, uh, Stream East.
0: Okay, I might even pull it up on my phone. I could.
1: It's the atmosphere is crazy. I can't hear it obviously because I have the audio of the podcast and I have like basically everything else muted, guys. But like, I can see the fans like screaming like crazy, and if I know northeastern sports like Kyle does those fans are going nuts there's a pitching change they're even going crazier this is ridiculous the Astros are putting in their closer and he's one of the better closers in the league so they need this to happen right now I just went to commercial but who this game's gonna go crazy
0: I know and the funny thing is like we were talking about this before we even started recording honestly Kev we thought this game would already have gone final by the time we would have reached this point but I mean they got like a 10 to 7 game and they're only like in like the top of the seventh or the bottom of the fifth seventh.
1: or sixth or something yeah 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 thank yeah. god no because that 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 would have been a as much as we want to talk about it we got to finish up this episode so we go watch it but we're, we're like literally innings not even innings we're outs away from this game going final so we'll try to give our analysis on the series as much as we can while at the same time keeping you guys abreast but again by the time you hear this this will, game will have already gone final so
0: yeah it's just i guess like let's kind of play it this way so like if you were kind of pulled this game out the you know, basically from the jaws of defeat here, just because it looks like the Phillies are on a little bit of a run in the eighth inning. How do you think like this sets them up when the series goes back to game six for Houston? Or goes back I to mean, game six for in Houston.
1: I can't say that this is going to give them any edge. I mean, just because th- like you alluded to, this has gone back and forth. The Phillies get the upset in game one and steal home field advantage away from Houston right off the bat. And they came from behind because if I'm not mistaken, they were down five nothing and they yeah. came back to win. Six five. So that showed Philly has the capabilities with their offense. Their bullpen came in and locked it down after Nola blew the game. And then the next game, Houston goes out and they make. Uh, I don't know if I don't remember if it was Syndergaard or who it was, but they made their pitcher look like shit. And they go and they win that game five to two. Come fast forward, obviously you go to the, the game three. Philly goes on a tear. Yeah. it was just like it was a rout. I mean, it, it was home run after home run after diggers. home run, and Houston couldn't get it going.
0: They were hitting dingers.
1: So that was a blowout. I thought that was going to be the change because, dude, when you catch momentum like that in the World Series and you're home, you ride that wave and you don't look back, especially because Philly has been one of the more electrifying offenses in the postseason. Mm -hmm. I thought that would have catapulted them to win this in five or six. Then they get no hit by the Astros in game four.
0: No hit, bro. It's... A team,
1: it's a cohesive no-hit, too, because the starter went five or six, and then the bullpen ended up wrapping it up, so it was a combination of two or three pitchers to get the no-hitter, but overall, Philly looked like shit, and I didn't understand what the hell happened. I was looking at this game, just lost. Kyle watched the game, so I guess I'll bounce it back to you. What the hell happened in game four?
0: Well, I mean, looking back to game four specifically, Houston's pitching staff was just on, they were just on fire that night, and it was Honestly, they basically just took the thunder from the Phillies from game three. It's just, I thought that the Phillies would have, like you said, carried that momentum from game three going into game four with their pitching staff literally on a high after game three, especially with the home crowd behind you. There was a really good chance that they could have went to 3-1 in that series had they won game four, and they just laid an egg. And pretty much looking back at that game specifically, it just came down to one inning. Houston was able to get some hits, and... Not only that, they were able to load the bases, but they were able to get all those guys in. You know, they scored 5 runs, I believe, all in one inning, if I remember correctly. And that's I mean, honestly, all they needed was one. They ended up getting 5. The other 4 I guess were just insurance runs at that point. But man, I thought that Philly would have responded in some sort of way, but when they went down 5 nothing, it just seemed like it took like the entire life it really just it took the air out of the stadium. And it just seemed like the Phillies they just couldn't They just couldn't work the count properly from the batter's box. And that's where you got to give credit to Houston's pitching staff. I mean, the fact that they were able to bounce back that effectively after having what I would only describe as getting shelled in game three. Man, you want to talk about a turnaround. That's an epic turnaround. You go from giving up seven runs in game three to not only shutting out the Phillies who just put up seven against you, they basically just put up a touchdown on you the game before, you know, hit them in a combined effort with like two, three, four pitchers. That was insane. So the fact that Houston was able to put that in the rearview mirror and never look back. I got to give Houston a lot of credit for that. So, Kev, okay, what just happened? Marsh just struck out.
1: Oh, I thought chase chase chased, the change up in the dirt. I thought that it was a double play oh, with curve, that reaction. Curveball or a slider. One of those two. Actually, it's not a change. Uh it's so frustrating. All three pitches were just garbage. Come on. That's why Presley's one of the best relievers in the postseason. I believe he's got eight and two thirds pitched, three walks, twelve Ks, no earned runs in the playoffs by himself.
0: Mm.
1: Mm. just those are key numbers, man. When you when you have a closer, a setup or any reliever to have numbers like that, that that's crucial is numbers to applaud. It's crucial. Kyle Schwarber's up to bat. Two outs, runners in the corners.
0: He, he gets a hit here and ties him. Dude, Sweet they're Kirk. like
1: swing So so this is shout out to my boy Brian again. You know, the big Philly guy that I mentioned a couple of episodes ago. He keeps me abreast with what's going on when I can't watch every single game. But it's like he told me what happened in game four was they weren't hitting for contact. And again, I didn't see the whole game. So I only saw a couple of Ed Bats here and again he described it as they were going for the fences to replicate the success of game three. There wasn't much discipline while at the same time, whatever they did hit was a pop-up or a line out. And again, when you go for power, I'm going to ask the baseball player, can't that get into your head? That overconfidence of we're shelling their pitchers. They're going to leave some stuff up. Let me see if I can put one out there. And then that kind of just manifests itself when you get behind.
0: Yeah. I mean, here's the thing, especially when you're on a high, especially after game three, I think you have, like, oh, maybe maybe your ego gets a little bit inflated thinking we could walk into game four and just kind of carry that momentum without, you know, really kind of considering that Houston's going to make an adjustment going into that game. What happened?
1: Just a filthy curveball by freaking Presley, man. He Oh, my God. He had Schwarber in front of it so fast, he almost, like, fell over. Jesus Christ. Was it a strike? Oh, my God, absolutely. He whiffed so hard, he ended up on a knee.
0: Yeah, I sometimes those <laughs> curveballs, man, sometimes they're that bad. Like I mean,
1: filthy. Outside when, I mean, obviously he's it, a lefty and, and Presley's a righty. So when he broke that outside corner, he just ended up reaching so far out, he ended up on one knee and he got up like damn what's it. what's the count? It's one, two.
0: Oh, jeez.
1: Yeah. Schwarber is a legitimately home runner bus player. He's not necessarily known for the best contact, in my opinion, from what yeah. I've seen in his career. At this
0: point, now he's now he's basically got a bat defense trying way. to stay alive yeah so i mean best case scenario obviously he gets a hit but if he could work this count to 3-2
1: oh it was a line out down the first base line right to the first baseman oh bro been, uh, he uh, roped it it was an inside pitch and the first baseman basically just mm, is right wow. to him. Right to him. Like, on the on the first baseline, bounces right in front for the scoop, and he just touches the bag. Like, it was, like, the perfect place for the ball. Damn. That's a, that's well, they got to run, so... Well,
0: and they still have the, the ninth inning, so they Bottom still have... the it. ninth, yeah. So, I don't know. Who did they have um, in their lineup after Schroeder? do up? Yeah, just... just... Take a look and see what we have. I don't even care if we so doing this on the fly. So, it looks... Five.
1: It looks like after Schwarber, it's the top of the lineup. So Schwarber's leadoff, it's Hoskins, Real Muto, uh, Muto, and then Harper to end it. So if anybody's going to end the game, it's going to be with their best player. So at least Harper will get in at bat this inning.
0: Houston's got to be careful, though. Because
1: Presley's in there for a five-out save, without a doubt. Presley just went in there and got two
0: outs. Yeah, and he probably only threw, what, like 10 pitches? If that.
1: Yeah, potentially 10, maybe if that, yeah, you're right.
0: So, I mean, look. Presley through seven. The Phillies get somebody on, and then Bryce Harper comes up to bat, and it's only a one-run game.
1: Clutch is player in the playoffs this year, so I wouldn't uh, be surprised. Uh,
0: uh, uh, the stage would be set. That's all I'm going to say. It's whether or not yeah. the Bryce takes advantage of it. But they got to get somebody on base first. Exactly.
1: I mean, even if he just ties it, that's going to that, give them an opportunity because they're home,
0: so. Yeah, it, If the Phillies were able to squeak this one out, that'd be huge.
1: Yeah, and I'm not going to go into what if this team wins and what if that team wins, because then that's just a double analysis that we're going to end up wasting time on. We've already talked about the World Series enough. We've given our opinions on what we think could happen, on how the series has played out. Uh, We don't want to drag this on, especially for those of you that are, you know, either getting into work or whenever it is that you listen to this, it's just kind of like repetitive stuff. So I think we'll wrap it up on that note. I mean, that's about everything we have in terms of the agenda. Uh, so, I mean, I know that for me next week, I'll well, I'll be here for for the next you know two episodes, but afterwards I'll be going on a, a little vacation to go to Orlando to hang out with some friends at uh, EDC Orlando. Haven't been to a festival in a couple of years since COVID. And, you know, last year I wasn't able to go, just had the dog, had no one to watch him, blah, 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 whatever. Uh, so kyle will be kind of manning the next episode or so after i'm gone for just a little bit till i get back so just thought i'd give you guys a heads up
0: bro you're gonna be tearing it up at edc i could tell you right now. N- i'm
1: I'm not though you know it you know was crazy before i get onto a tangent oh, okay. i've mentally been telling myself that i'm getting old like i'm getting tired like hanging out with my friends i'm getting tired like walking around the block trying to stay healthy like dude a festival is like I'm i'm not playing i know i'm dating myself here but like a festival is Friday, Saturday, Sunday from 12 to 12. So that's literally 36 hours straight of just going to a festival, going to a concert. And I'm not one of those crazy people that drinks all day, you know, smokes all day. It's just I'm there for the energy of the rave. And that's truthfully, if anybody could attest to that, it's the people I go with. I'm not one of those that goes nuts. I just admire and appreciate the atmosphere. It's a getaway for me. But to be standing for 12 hours, three days in a row, and then go to work, <laughs> the next day which is going to be that that monday or that tuesday you're gonna be i'm gonna be exhausted
0: you're gonna be in hell on monday bro I'd exactly right so
1: you know i'm I'm not trying to go like like i said i'm not i'm not finna turn up or you know go i'm not in my young 20s anymore i'm not 19 or whatever so it's like at this point i'm there to relax we got vip this year so we can kind of like just chill and uh we'll see what happens i'm excited because there are some djs that i haven't seen in some years that i want to see but i'm gonna have a good time that's for damn sure
0: well yeah hey bro first festival what's this like 2019? 2019
1: 2019 because 2020 got canceled yeah um 2021 i didn't go because of fear oh, of covid yeah. because i had just gotten it um that christmas or like i actually no, i didn't get it yet i was scared to get it and then i ended up getting it that december so like it ended up hitting me regardless but and also i didn't have anybody to watch the dog because i believe is yeah. out of town or doing something
0: yeah but i mean now you're just gonna have fun it's Just just yeah, just let I'm have just, just I'm cooling it, it, bro. I'm relaxing. Vibes, bro. You gotta enjoy the vibes.
1: Yeah, I, t- I told I told Isabel uh same thing every. Did they just hit a home run or something? No. OK, sorry. That was a flashback. Um, I told Isabel since we got together, this is the one thing I asked for for myself every year. Most guys go on crazy guy trips to Vegas, L.A., New York. I just do EDC once a year. And that's my getaway with my boys and my friend Christine. And now my boy's girlfriend, Gabby. And we all just like. It's so hard to describe for those of you that aren't into music like that and aren't into festivals. It's like when you feel the beat on the floor and you are surrounded by thousands upon thousands of people all sharing in the same excitement. It's really relaxing because it's just everybody is thinking the same way that you're thinking. Everyone's just there for a good time and there's no judgment there. I know Planet Fitness' slogan is a judgment-free zone, but it's like People doing the weirdest dances. People are out there wearing face paint, makeup, pasties, whatever it is. Nobody cares. Like, there's absolutely nobody sitting there poking fun of you, sitting in the corner smoking a J, like, oh, look at this douchebag. It's everybody's so nice to everybody. I've even seen something as nice as a guy was in a wheelchair. They picked the guy up in a wheelchair at, at, at a stage and they carried him to the front and they were like, you know, getting excited with him and stuff. The guy was crying. He was so happy. He was just like, I haven't been able to walk in years. I think he was like a retired military veteran too. So it was just the atmosphere is beautiful. That's all I'm trying to say. And there's always that narrative that oh, it's just everyone's doing drugs and you know people are dying every day. Those are you know that happens because those are people that are very immature, don't know how to handle themselves in a good environment. And again, I've I've seen it happen. It's unfortunate. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it doesn't happen to the magnitude that people make it seem like. I mean, for God's sakes, Rolling Loud last year or whatever concert that was, a Travis Scott concert where people were just getting trampled, that's a nightmare. So the narrative with EDC needs to chill. Hip-hop concerts are getting crazy. So let's cool it down. But yes, I'm excited for my vacation. No, Thank you for bro, coming to my TED Talk. I'll be here all
0: week. <laughs> <laughs> no, bro, just enjoy the vibes. It, it, bro, it's for three days, so you will going to be chilling. Big time. You, but no, I, I I hope you have a good time, and, um, and uh, don't get the COVID.
1: No, I mean, at this point, if I get it a year later, it's just, that's just, it is what it is. It I is. had the antibodies. I had the vaccine. It's just, oh, they struck out. Let's go. Got McCormick on a nice breaking slider. But
0: but Isabel's we'll see what going. happens. I'm not worried about it. Isabel's not going?
1: Isabel doesn't do that stuff. I've asked a couple of times, but I've also let her know, like, you know, sometimes she gets tired as well and just you know she has like plantar fasciitis in her feet and stuff like that so she can't be up for long periods of time 12 hours i'm not missing djs i will literally send her in an uber because once you leave the festival you can't come back yeah so i'm good yeah. off that like if you can't hack it and i know i can't hack it i'm forcing myself through it for I'm me not, i can't force her
0: for me man i could maybe do a day i don't know if i could do three
1: yeah I could maybe do a day and and, you know, my friends asked me, like, would she come for a day? And I think she would. I think the problem is coming up for one day when we're there for the weekend for her to sit in the hotel or have to drive back all the way by herself. It's just, you know, it just, I feel like it's a waste of money. She wouldn't get the full experience. Some DJs are better than others on certain days. There are days where it's like it's split. So I wouldn't know what day to pick. She also hasn't been to a festival. So I don't know her genre, what, what vibe she goes with. So I wouldn't want her to waste a couple hundred bucks to go for a day. And then her not have a good time and have to drive back. And then God forbid she can't hack that day. It's like, well, uh, they just got a base hit. So shit. God forbid she can't handle it and we got to leave early. I'm going to be furious and I'm going to be mad at myself for telling her to come when I know she shouldn't have. So we just kind of keep it separate. She does her things on her own. I do my one thing on my own. So it's all good.
0: Well, you have the boundaries for personal space set up pretty well, so.
1: Yeah, and I like I said, it's the one thing. I don't go on a lot of trips by myself. I don't really leave the house. I'm very much a homebody the older I've gotten, especially because of, you know, me just wanting to save money and play video games and stuff like that. So I'm a pretty simple person.
0: Yeah, it's just just uh all I know what's going to happen is essentially when you go to EDC that weekend. I know you're going to document the entire freaking weekend. I already know. It. I'm
1: not, though, because remember last time I went, I got my phone stolen. I'm going to have my fanny pack. I'm not taking my phone Uh-oh. out. I'm having it like locked on my chest. Dude, there is not a chance I'm taking my phone out unless it's like when we just get there and I'm trying to get signal or something. Or if I'm trying to like find my group, if we get split, which is impossible because there's never service there. But, uh, you know, I learned my lesson last time. I'm going to have a nice tight fanny pack strap it as tight as i can in my chest and basically like walk around like this door i got pickpocketed a new yorker got pickpocketed at edc but there were also over 700 phones reported stolen in that weekend so it wasn't just me
0: yeah i didn't know it was 700 though that's kind of crazy yeah it's bro
1: dude the, the police the, the police department in orlando had over a thousand requests between like fighting uh drunken misconduct uh drunken disorderly all that and then phone stolen like bro, they caught one of the thieves and emptied like three or four backpacks worth and there were like hundreds upon hundreds of phones. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, they, I mean, you're surrounded by thousands of people. It's not like a concert where like everybody's kind of chilling. This is one where you're jumping up and down with the beats and stuff. So all it takes is one person to just to snip it. you. It's gone. Yep,
0: that's all it takes. So yeah, I'm in good with case, that. Some... I, I, we've
1: rambled so much about this shit.
0: Yeah, but no. Have a good time, bro. That'll be fun. I know it's not till you know, not next week, but the week after. But no, no, it's happen. next
1: week. I leave. Uh, I leave Thursday night or Friday morning. Excuse me. I should next say, Thursday, not
0: this weekend, but next weekend. Yeah, that was that's probably the better way to say it. But no, that'll be that'll be fun, bro. So yeah, bro. Let's uh, let's wrap this up. So yeah, but um, yeah, just to kind of end things here you guys you know once again thank you guys for supporting the podcast whether it's listening to us on the audio platforms or on our youtube channel or on instagram or tiktok we definitely appreciate you guys uh kevin and i will be back next week uh we'll go over some of the week nine games that we discussed uh, throughout the episode uh if there are any other pop-up games that catch our attention we, we may uh set aside a segment for one of those games obviously the world series will i don't know when does this thing actually end so Game seven, if there were a game seven, would be on Sunday. If the series gets wrapped up before then, then obviously we'll have a segment for it. Uh, if not, we'll probably be, be recording when that game is going on if there is a game seven between the Phillies and the Astros. So time will kind of tell on that one. But no, that's pretty much the slate that we have for you guys. going uh, could be flowing. So hopefully you guys uh, enjoy what we're dropping and just continue to support us. But Kev, that's all I got to say. You can take us on home, bro. All right, ladies and gentlemen,
1: that's going to wrap it on up for us. We will see you guys again Sunday. We appreciate the support and hope you guys have a great weekend.
0: Sure. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with ElectroCast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rapelson. We're the founders of ElectroCast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join ElectroCast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community.
1: With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion,
0: world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to electrocast.com and join our community today.
1: Electrocast. Transform your influence.
0: Electrocast.
1: Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices,
0: Trick-Ass.